Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. We've been in this section where Jesus is interacting with the Jewish leaders. He's being challenged. They're trying to bring um, accusations against him. They try to trap him in various sins and controversies. We talked about the woman caught in adultery last week and about the intent to trap him there. And in John chapter 8, we started off into verse 12 where Jesus goes into this section where he begins to give an I am statement. And this phrase, I am Greek, ego, and me, it's a powerful phrase that is used throughout the Gospel of John. Um, give me another example of one of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the vine. What else? I am the bread of life. There's a cheat sheet up there, people. You can see it right there. Yeah. <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life, right? I, I, before Abraham was, I am, unless you believe that I am he, you know, all that kind of stuff. He uses that phrase over and over again to establish his deity. Yes, Yvonne? Yeah, in the burning bush, when Moses was spoken to by God, he said, who should I tell him sent me? And God says, tell him I am sent you. And then in John 8, verse 58, Jesus repeats that similar phraseology. It says, truly I say to you before Abraham was, you know, I am, that same kind of statement. Well, here Jesus in verse 12 of John chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. If you're new to the class, this is before Jesus goes to the cross. This is during his earthly ministry. And the accusations against him, the challenges, them, and all of that seem to be escalating as we go on. And Jesus is going to get very pointed in his rebuke of these religious leaders that are leading people astray. They're supposed to be leading people to the Messiah. They're supposed to be preparing people to be part of the kingdom of God. Yet the religious leaders of the time were not doing that. Instead, they took the, the belief system of the day, which was true. I mean, God wanted them, you know, under the old law, to follow the law of Moses and all of that. But they used that as a way to exploit, manipulate, and control people. And then when Jesus comes on the scene and starts telling people to repent and starts challenging the religious leaders, they don't like it. Why? takes their power away. They don't like that. So they get after him. And now Jesus, of course, knows that. And the audience knows that as well. So he's going to stir the pot a little bit as he brings and, you know, strengthens his rebuke of them. So let's pick up in verse, I'm going to start in verse 12 just to get the flow. But actually our focus is going to be about verses 18 onward this morning. But John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We talked about how light is a key term to this book, especially in the Greek world with light and enlightenment and knowledge and being able to see all of that's kind of wrapped up in that terminology. So Jesus illuminates you is kind of this idea. You'll have the light of life, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So the Pharisees said, look, look, you're just making this up. You're the one that's saying this about yourself and you're lying. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going and you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true 
for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now, on the surface, it might seem like Jesus is kind of arguing in a circle. I mean, that's kind of what they were accusing him of here, right? They said, well, yeah, you said that about yourself, but only you are saying it, right? I mean, that's kind of the accusation. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. They go, okay, yeah, you're claiming that, but you're the only one saying it. Jesus goes, look, I'm not just self-accreditating myself. It's beyond that. There's witnesses to that. The text that you read, Old Testament, makes this clear. And by the way, my father, God, right, also testifies to this fact. And that phrase there, when he starts calling God father, really upsets them. Have they been upset by this phrase before? Right? When Jesus calls, him, his, um, calls God father, what was he making himself? Equal with God, right? We have a tendency to think father-son as a greater, lesser being relationship. In that time frame, in that mindset, in that culture, it wasn't. If you are especially firstborn son, heir of all things, you are the one next in line to rule that family, if you want to use that kind of terminology. It's the firstborn son, when the father passed away, took on the burden of the family, took on the responsibility of that. Which, by the way, I kind of want us to rethink and reframe in our mind even the idea of leadership in a sense. Leadership is not a, it's a privilege, yes, but it's not a, a title that makes you yourself honorable, but it's the idea of a burden that you bear. For example, like the elders in the congregation here, they are leaders within the congregation, but they're not bosses, but they bear a burden of shepherding the flock. Husbands and wives in the relationship there, they're complementary in role, and although God wants husbands to be spiritual leaders in the home, that's not a I rule you, it is I bear a burden and a responsibility for you. Here Jesus has the same responsibilities, the same authority and all of that that is given to the Father because he is the Son and they don't like that. So in verse 19, what did they say to him? Where's your dad, right? Where's your father? Where is he? You, um, and Jesus says, you, neither, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now, there might be some underhanded insults in this because a lot of them would have known who Jesus' earthly father was. Who was his earthly father? Joseph. Where is he now? We don't know. Um, I, I don't think Joseph ran off. He seems to be a man of utmost godly character or anything like that. I, I assume he died. Most scholars assume that by toward the end of you know, adult, Jesus' adulthood, he has already passed on from this life. That's why he's not mentioned, um, which you might think, well, he's not that old. Well, people died kind of early back then, and he's a carpenter, and they don't have good medical care. So, I mean, it's very possible. I mean, he would have died, you know, at, and he was a lot older, most likely, than Mary as well. So him dying is not anything odd, but he's not there. There might also be kind of um, an insult to Jesus here. Well, your dad's dead kind of thing. 
you know, that idea here. But they said, where is your father? Because your dad's not here. We don't see him, Jesus. Wait, you're claiming that your father gave you this authority. Well, obviously your father's that, not that special because your father is not here. And Jesus says, you do not know, or if you knew me, you would know my father also. If they truly knew who Jesus was, who would they know? God, right? The heavenly father. If they, and that's how we know God even too. We come to Jesus, and when we know Jesus, we know the character of God. When we know Jesus, we know who God is. When we know Jesus, we have a relationship with the Father. It's all through Jesus. You can't separate the two. They're trying to do that. Jesus wants them to understand that they can't. He says, so if you would know my, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. In these words, verse 20, he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. I'm going to go back to this verse 20 here in a second, but any thoughts or comments up through this point? Yes. I'm sure it was amazing and it agreed with everything I was saying too. All right, other thoughts? Yeah, done. Yeah. I think he's, I don't like using the word insulting, but he's getting after them and they're doing the same thing in reverse to him. Yeah, calling them out. Yeah, because they should know the scriptures. And that's kind of his thought through all of this. He goes, you know, even in your law, it is written, you know, this kind of idea. They should know some stuff. Yes. It came to you, huh? All right. Yes. It's his bride and his body. Yeah, you can't separate Jesus from that. And that, that's not really what we're going to look at here. But, yeah, we try to categorize, well, I have Jesus, but not the church, or I have the Father, but I don't have Jesus. No, they, they all go in the same. Don't try to separate me from my bride, right? Jesus doesn't want to be separated from his church. Other thoughts? They would, I think more, but they had some requirements, of course. That's a good thought. I mean, oh, who he was and all of that. I mean, not just a face in the crowd. I, I don't know the maturing process. We don't know how many other times they traveled there, if he was visible to them, if you know a, a key figure like he was when he was 12. I don't know. Um, there had to have been murmurings about him for decades, right? I mean, you think about it. You know, Jesus is there at the age of 12 talking with the religious leaders, and they go, wow, we've never seen anything like this before. I'm sure that God, remember that kid? That's, that's this guy. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think they probably would have had some familiarity, but maybe they don't want to see that. Maybe those people died off, passed on, whatever. I don't know, but that's, a, that's an interesting thought. Other thoughts? Well, in verse 20, it says, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Sometimes he's, you know, attacked, sometimes he's not, but here he's not yet seized because his hour has not yet come. This is put in there by John as he writes this by inspiration here to try to let us into the idea that there's also a bigger plan going on here at work. It wasn't the time for Jesus to be arrested because ultimately when Jesus is arrested, he's going to be, you know, crucified and, you know, that, all that unfolds. Here it doesn't happen yet not because of their will necessarily, but because it's not yet time for God's eternal plan to happen. And I'm not making a huge deep point off of that beyond just understand that this isn't just happenstance, these things that are happening. God has a plan, and although maybe these people over here think, well, we're doing it, and these people over here think we're doing it outside of all of that, God is orchestrating and moving and 
making sure it furthers that plan that he prophesied about way back when is going to unfold and going to happen. Any thoughts before we move on? All righty. Verse 21, it says, and he said to them again, so Jesus speaks up. He says, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now that's a very provocative statement because they don't know everything. He's, see, we always look at this backwards. We know the end of the story. We know the death of Jesus. We know his burial. We know his resurrection. We know his ascension. We know his final return is going to happen and all of that. They don't know that yet. So imagine you're in an argument with somebody who's claiming to be from God, and then that person tells you, I'm going to go away. You're going to try to find me, but you're going to die in your sin and not be able to find me because where I'm going, you can't go. You're like, what? That's a confusing statement. That's an attention-getting provocative statement. It's kind of an, an odd statement. Where is he talking about? Where is he going? What's that? Okay, you think that's where he's talking about maybe the crucifixion there or the father? Yeah, that's a good thought. Other ideas here. Yeah, they're thinking fleshly, and that's where he's going to get here, and, and Tom's on to something, because later he's going to actually use that term earthly or fleshly in their thinking. So when Jesus says, I'm going to go away, they're thinking, well, is he going to Bethlehem? Where's he going? You know, that kind of thing. But Jesus says, I'm going to a place, and you're going to try to find me, and you won't, because where I'm going, you cannot come, and you're going to die in your sin. I think, generic statement, he's going to go to the Father. I think that's it. And the fact that they are so blind to the truth, the fact that they are following the devil, as he's going to talk about here in a second, they are going to act like they're trying to seek him, but they're not going to ever find him because they are in their sin and they will die in their sin. In John chapter 8, verse 24, he says this again. Skip ahead a few verses. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am or I am he, you will die in your sins. Until these people believe, they will never find it. You cannot find, like, even now, let's think about it. How do you find Jesus? Where's Jesus now? In the heavens, with God, you know, that kind of idea, right? He's outside of this world. How do we find him? Belief, right? That's how you find Jesus. It's not from, well, you know, any other outside means. It's you have to believe, have your faith in him. If you do not do that, cut and dry, this is black and white here, you will die in your sins. You will be lost. You will not be with him because you refuse to believe. These people here refused to believe that he was from God, refused to believe that he was the Messiah. And because of that, they're going to die in their sins because they can't go where he is, where he is going. Those that believe can. We one day will dwell in eternity with the Father. Believers will, not those who refuse. Those are going to die in their sins. Comments or questions? Yeah, 
and you bring that up, and I think it's a good point because at least me, I have a tendency to, and when I read the text, we always in our mind put ourselves in the role of different characters. I, in my own prideful arrogance, usually put myself over here next to Jesus going, yeah, Pharisees, you guys are wrong. But the reality is, Cliff Sabro is a religious leader who's pretty much steeped in doing what he's always done, who has a hard time changing anything. I'd probably be over here with the Pharisees going, who do you think you are? Really, think about it. Let's not be so arrogant to believe that we would always be on the good team in this dialogue. When you read through scripture, when you read through the interactions of Jesus with other people, put yourself in both roles, okay? And do a little gut check to make sure that we're not the bad guys in the story. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, have you not read is a very sobering thought, especially because all of us are sitting in a Bible study right now, reading the scripture. And yeah, we have read and we should know what it says. It's not a matter of we don't know what it says either. It's, as Jim kind of points out, it's about not obeying it and following it. Yeah. Yeah, you know better, right? You know better. And you know what? Our, I mean, because like Yvonne mentions children, sometimes like, you know better than doing that. And imagine our Heavenly Father who created mankind, who loves every single person out there as his child made in his image. No wonder sometimes he wants to just destroy this world, right? Like, come on, guys. You know the truth, right? That kind of thing. Well, let's keep going. Then verse 22, the Jews were confused by this. But they got a hint of something which is unique. They were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. Because I think he is alluding toward his death, his crucifixion. They kind of got that inkling from the statement. They go, well, he's not going to kill himself, is he? Because, I mean, let's think about their perspective for a moment. They think Jesus is a wacko, okay? They do. He's leading a movement of these people that are leaving their homes and families, traveling around preaching a message of a coming of a kingdom that's not ruled by Caesar, and they're, they're living, they're out there in the woods sometimes. I know it's not woods, but you know what I'm saying. They hung around guys like John the Baptist who ate locusts and wild honey. They're a ragtag bunch of people. You got a zealot who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. You got a tax collector. You got fishermen. And you also got women hanging around him, all sorts of stuff. That's, this guy's crazy. You don't know what he's going to do next. He's doing these miracles. At least people claim he's doing miracles. We don't believe it, they would say, right? And now he's making the statement, where are you going to, I'm going, you cannot go. It's a fair assessment of them to go, he's probably going to kill himself, right? They think he's a nut. And they go, is that what's going to happen? And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Previous couple chapters, he mentioned being from above as another illustration. Something coming down from above or coming down from heaven. What was it? The bread, remember? The bread? Back in chapter 6, I am the bread which has come down out of heaven. That's from above. Same kind of terminology here. I am came from above, but you are from below. Think, you know, first century cosmology now and that kind of idea. Humankind is below. It's on the ground. It's on the earth. God is above. Then you want to get into maybe even some of your Greek thinking 
which was very much everything above is good, everything earthly is bad. All that kind of stuff is in their mindset here. Jesus says, look, you are from a below. You are earthly in your thinking, fleshly, as I think Tom brought up earlier, in your thinking. You're not thinking good, you're thinking bad. I, on the other hand, am from above. I am not of this world. He, see, they're still thinking human-like. Well, he might kill himself. Well, killing himself wouldn't even stop him because he's not of this world. The rules, the constraints, the laws placed upon humanity and how humanity works, operates, and thinks don't apply to Jesus because he is outside of the world. He is above it. And you got to think of from that mindset too, especially if you're above it, you can control it. The don't apply. You can shape it. That's Jesus. They don't get that. They're still thinking earthly. And that's why he says, therefore I say to you, you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. They need to understand that Jesus is not of this world. And we too. There's a lot of belief in Jesus out there that's more or less Jesus is a good moral leader, which he was, of course, or that he is a, a great teacher, a rabbi, a poet, or anything like that. But it's more than that. To believe in Jesus is to not just think Jesus is a good guy. To believe in Jesus means you accept the fact that he is outside of this world. He is God in the flesh. He's beyond our realm. He's more than just a human. Unless you believe that, unless you believe that, you will die in your sins. Now, I want to skip ahead, and um, we're going to go back to this because I think he concludes this section later on in verse 58 when he talks this dialogue about Abraham. He uses the same terminology. Verse 58 of the same chapter, it says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. To a Jewish person, the most important figure in their history is Abraham. Because Abraham is the founder of them as a people. Before Abraham was around, there was no Jewish people. They didn't call themselves Jews till later, but Abraham, you know, had his sons and all of that and, and so on. And that's how the Jewish people came about. They were so big into tracing their lineage back to Abraham because that was their identity. It was who they are. In our Western culture, we don't have that as much, that family name honor. I mean, obviously, if you're a real prominent family in, in American history or a Rockefeller or something like that, maybe. You know what I mean? But beyond that, I try to think that everybody cares about the Sabros, but no one really does. And, you know, if you're new here, that's my last name, by the way. And, you know, that kind of thing. But no one really does. And, oh, by the way, any Sabro in this country I am related to because it's a misspelling on our name. Um, but, I mean, it's not that important, right? But to them, that family line all the way back to Abraham gave themselves their life meaning, gave their life value. It was who they were. It was their identity. Maybe it'd be like, us, a national identity. If I said, look, you can no longer be an American. Now, I plan on moving to Lechtenstein one day, but besides that, I mean, America, I like the place. But, I, I mean, that'd be hard to lose that identity. Even in our culture, if someone 
renounces their citizenship. That's a, that's a big deal, right? Well, Jesus says, take your prominent figure, Abraham. I was before that. I am beyond and above and outside of everything that makes you who you think you are. And unless you believe, verse 24, that I am, I am he, before Abraham existed. And if you notice in your Bible, that word he is probably in italics because it's kind of a weird way of trying to translate it into English, but it's I am. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is the great I am. So verse 25, so they were saying to him, who are you? Like, what are you claiming? You're claiming, because they don't want to say it out loud. Think about it. They, they're getting what he's saying. They have to. Wait, 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 wait. You're claiming that you're I am. You're claiming that you're beyond this world. No one's going to say that out loud that he's claiming to be God. No, 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 you can't say that. Maybe in hushed tones with your buddies over, do you think he's saying that? But they're not going to say that out loud. So they ask, who are you? Jesus said to them, what I have been saying to you from the beginning. Since early on in his ministry, he's made it very clear who he is. And those that actually want to see it, see it. But those that put the blinders up, that refuse to accept the truth, they don't want to hear it. They want to tune it out. They want to get themselves a little echo chamber to tell them exactly what they want to hear. But Jesus has been telling them from the beginning. He says, verse 26, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I have heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So now it starts to click what he's talking about. Thoughts or comments or questions? Yes. There is no significant figure in history bigger than Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, you forgot his name. There's been a lot of other so-called Christ that have happened and we forget who they are. Yeah. Um, this idea here too that he keeps repeating that you should know who I was from the beginning. I've made it clear to you and all of that. He wants them to see that the Father and he are one. There is no separation between them. It's not that, well, I'm Jesus over here doing my thing. It's no, they're interlaced. Their workings are together. There's unity in them. Because these Jewish leaders wanted to follow the Father. I mean, deep down, I think they did, of course. But they didn't want to follow Jesus. Jesus goes, look, if you reject me, you're rejecting him. Like, if you're mean to my kids, it's like you're being mean to me, right? And they're one in the same in how they are working. Verse 28, Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing from my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Everything with Jesus and the Father are one. There's unity there. And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. You can underline verse 30 as a key verse of this book. Let's back up to verse 28. He says, when you, he says, there's going to be a moment when you finally get it. 
He says it's when you lift me up. What do you think he's talking about? I think he's talking about the cross. See, they're going to raise Jesus up above the people, thinking, now we've stopped him. Now we've ended him. He's going to be quiet. He's going to go away. They're going to nail nails into his hands and to his feet, place the crown of thorns on him, put the fake accusation above him, hang him on that cross between two criminals. And what's going to happen? Sky will become dark. Earthquakes will happen. Veil in the temple torn in two. They will place him in a, in a tomb, put a stone in front of it, but they're going to roll back that stone and he won't be there because he resurrects from it. When they lift him up, they are actually going to be glorifying him. That's the whole, the neat thing with this is they thought they were getting him to go away, but actually they were elevating him for all eternity. You know, back in verse um, 20, it talked about because his hour has not yet come, his hour is coming or he will be lifted up and then they will know. When the centurion stuck the sword into the side of Jesus and the people saw him and saw how he breathed his last and what he said, what was the statement that was made? Truly this was the son of God, right? They believed when they saw that. And according to verse 30, many people, when he started predicting this here, came to believe. Questions or comments? Verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. So now, some of the people there believed, which is awesome, by the way, because the whole book of John is designed to get us to believe in Jesus. John 20, 30, and 31 says, these signs have been written so that you may believe, and to believing you may have life in his name. So many people started to believe in him. So now the crowd grows. The people around him grow. And here's what he tells them. So what do you tell a new believer? I love this. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Just keep following my word. That's what we tell people too. They want to become a Christian, baptized into Jesus Christ. And we say, all right, well, they're like, what next? Keep following Jesus. Now, I try to give them more instruction than that, but you understand what I'm saying? That's basically it, right? Keep following Jesus. Live for him. Verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's a pretty, um, you know, important statement in Scripture. It's one we're familiar with. But he says, keep knowing the truth, and you will find freedom. Think about these contrasts in this book, by the way. Light, darkness, above, below, slave, free. You want to be made free. You want to have freedom. Come to Jesus. And again, he's going to, this is going to cause some controversy here in a second, but what does knowing the truth make us free from? Sin. Yeah. And I, maybe you read ahead and saw that too because Jesus says that. But yeah, we're slaves to sin. Sin controls us. I mean, how many times have we fallen into the same sin over and over again and it's like we can't stop it and, and it's like it's our boss it's telling us what to do. Over here, we want to do what's right, but our flesh is telling us otherwise. That, that's, that's trapping us. It, it, it consumes us. But in Jesus, we can break free from that. And you also think maybe in the culture of this time, man, I saw one statistic one time about, and it was crazy. I don't even remember what it was, but it was 
like a third of the population or a quarter of the population at this time was slaves. Okay? And we always think of, you know, antebellum South America kind of slavery uh, when we hear the word slave, but there was slaves there too. And, and with that, there was a lot, and it, some of it was different. There was um, servants, and they could buy their freedom, and it was a little bit different stuff, but same idea. They understood slavery. And so many people were involved in slavery then. And then you remove beyond that. The, who's occupying Judea at this time? Rome. Now, Rome didn't enslave them. They kind of learned from some of their predecessors that it doesn't always work well, so you kind of let your populace do their thing. But Rome was in control of the Jewish people. Now, they weren't slaves to them, but they didn't like it. They wanted them gone. They, they, and all of this. And Jesus says, if you know the truth, you will be made free. But no one wants to believe they're a slave, right? I mean, an addict never wants to be told they're an addict, right? If you go up to somebody, and let's remove hard drugs from it, someone that, that says they just need to drink every day to unwind, at the end of the day, you know, you know, you got a problem. No, I don't. Yeah, I think you're an addict. No, I'm not. Well, you're telling me you have to have this every day. Sounds like it's controlling you. I'm not an addict. Don't you dare say that. I'm not enslaved. I'm in control. I can quit whenever I want. Ever heard anybody say that about anything? I can quit whenever I want. Put anything in there, right? But that's how we are when we're told that we're slaves. We don't like that. And yet Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. They didn't like that either. They said to him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Like, how dare you insult us as a people? We've not been enslaved. Well, he's not talking about them as a nation being enslaved, is he? Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Wow. So when you have a life of sin here, that, that's, you're enslaved to it. And I understand this is kind of active verbiage here too. Uh, don't, don't overthink it. Like, well, does that mean if I sin once, I'm a slave of sin? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those that choose sin over following him. And when you do that, you got a master. You either got two choices and who your master is going to be. It's either going to be slave or it's going to be sin or holiness. It's going to be Jesus or the devil. It's basically our choices here. And here he says, because you live a life of sin, you are enslaved by that sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Slaves are viewed kind of as property. Slaves don't get all of the, the privileges that come to being a son. So let's take a, a, a household in that culture at that time. You had parents, you had kids, you had slaves. When it came to ranking about who had authority, who had inheritance, who had sonship, it was the actual kids. The slaves might have gotten some privileges, you know, obviously depending on the relationship there, they could have, you know, be managers of the household, money and all that. But when it came to, if everything went down, who's going to leave? It's going to be the slave, not the son. 
And that's the whole idea later on in scripture of being adopted as sons when we become a child of God. We take on the full privileges of being a son of God when we become a Christian. But here, he says, a slave's not gonna remain forever, but the son does. So if you follow the son, you will be free and you will always be free if you are following the son. Yeah. We, we are blessed to be able to do that and we should be thankful for to have that, that kind of freedom. Um, but we should also be realized that sometimes I think we, like the Jewish people here, we really hang our hats on, well, we're free, we've never been slave. But yet, we could be a slave to sin in the middle of a free country. And I think that's kind of what's happening here a little bit. They, they're like, well, we're, we're, we're Abraham's descendants. We wouldn't do that. No, you are a slave. You're a slave to sin. Other thoughts? I want to read a couple more verses and then we'll stop. Jesus answers them. He goes, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. I get that, but yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Yeah, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but then I preach you a word basically that Abraham would agree with, and yet you want to kill me. He goes, I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you do the things which you have heard from your father. I love how Jesus speaks here because what he's going to do is in just a moment, he's going to tell them that their dad is not Abraham. He's going to tell them that, oh yeah, you're following your father, and it's not Abraham. Who is it? The devil. He's going to tell them, you are not following Father God, and you're not following Father Abraham. You're following Father Satan. <laughs> I love how he takes that, because they're like, we follow our dad. He goes, yes, you do. And they go, what do you mean? Oh, no, yeah, your dad. The one who's going to be punished for all eternity and, you know, was a serpent in the garden. How dare you? That's kind of what he does here. And he takes their terminology, their words, and uses them back against them with this discussion of who is your father. So we're going to stop right here. Um, I'll close this out in a prayer in just a moment. But your homework assignment is read through the end of verse uh, of chapter 8, and we will discuss that uh, next week. We'll continue with this idea of Abraham and Satan and that idea because it's a really neat discussion. And then we'll get into the healing of the blind men, and we'll answer some questions about um, does God hear the prayer of sinners? We'll answer the question about, um, you know, is our sins, is that what causes disability and hardship? A lot of that kind of comes up in to chapter 9, so it'll be an interesting discussion. But I'll lead us in a prayer, and afterwards we'll have a break, about 15 minutes, greet people, welcome people, show everybody where they need to go. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for being our God, for giving us Jesus, and for giving us your word. May we obey it, follow it, believe it, and be set free in you. Help us to no longer live a life of sin, but live a life of belief and faith. It's through Jesus we pray, amen. All right, you're dismissed. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless.